Well, good evening. Thanks for coming out and trust the Lord will bless our time together. Uh, we just sang, uh, I really appreciated the song choices tonight. It fits in beautifully with our topic tonight. But on 528, uh, we sang the song very well. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. And then, of course, you go through all the other lines. And like I said, uh, we all sang it well. Uh, but how much do we really mean it? <laughs> this is a tough song to sing unless you sing it prayerfully. But anyway, it's a good lead into what we're going to be looking at tonight, uh, which is the Lordship of Christ. So if you would begin by opening your Bibles to John chapter 6, just as a lead into this. Uh, I kind of found out in the course of the day that uh, uh, some of the younger men would like to have me reschedule and not come on Super Bowl <laughs> Sunday. And, and uh, I couldn't help but chuckle because uh, uh, I've, I've always been a, a, a big football fan myself. Um, we used to have season tickets for it was still doing 40 some years to Michigan games, and I still remember I, I thought of something when somebody said that to me today. Uh, uh, it was the day before a Michigan Ohio State game that we were going down to, and I was up playing catch with my two boys who were young teenagers at that time. They both knew the Lord, and um, I don't know how the topic came up, but all of a sudden we're talking, and boy, they were all excited about the game. and. One of my sons says, well, you know, Dad, I sure hope the Lord doesn't come till after the Ohio State-Michigan game tomorrow. And I just kind of laughed. I didn't know quite how to respond to that. And I said, well, if he does, uh, you won't be disappointed. That's for sure. But I, I do understand uh, uh, the excitement of some of those things. But there are more important things in life, and uh, I appreciate all those who have come out tonight. Uh, uh, trust the Lord will bless our time together. I'm going to just ask a rhetorical question, and what I mean by a rhetorical question is uh, I want you to answer it, but I don't want you to answer it out loud, and I'm going to give you um, just 10 seconds to think about it. The question is this, who is Jesus Christ to you? Okay, time's up. Now, as we think about that, I'm sure a lot of different things came to mind. But I'm hoping one of the first things that came to mind, he's my Lord. Uh, I think more often than not, the first thing we often think of is, well, he's my Savior. And there's nothing wrong with thinking that. He is. And he's the only one who is able to be our Savior. But it's, it's interesting how many times we talk about the Lord. And I, I realize in my own life, you know, I very rarely ever I talk about uh, Jesus Christ just as Jesus. Uh, I, I, talk, I always say, you know, I just thank the Lord for this. And the Lord's really blessed me. And the, the number of times I use that phrase, Lord, uh, really outnumbers, I think, any other name that I give to the Lord Jesus Christ in just normal conversation. I understand he is all three. He is the Lord, Jesus, Jehovah saves, 
Christ, the anointed one of God. So I'm hoping that in that 10 seconds, whatever went through your mind, I hope at least one of those was he's my Lord. And that's what we're going to be focusing on tonight. I'd just like to read a few verses uh, from John chapter 6, just to lay the groundwork here, starting with verse 66. It says, From that time many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? But Simon answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, Peter addressed him as Lord. And as we look at this particular passage, you know, this isn't the only place we read this. You know, it's interesting in Psalm 100, verse 3, it says, Know ye that the Lord, he is God. Acts 2, 36, God hath made Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, to answer that question, you know, who is Jesus Christ to you? Well, I know to unbelievers, uh, he really is of little importance. Uh, when you talk to unbelievers, you, if you ask them who Jesus Christ is, who, nah, they don't have much to say. They don't really think all that much of him. But, you know, to a repentant believer... In the, and I emphasize repentant believer. There's a lot of so-called believers that are not truly believers. But a repentant believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, for them, uh, he's their savior. Isn't that right? But I think there's a third category, and I hope this is the one that we're in. For a repentant believer and follower of Jesus Christ. He is Lord. It's one thing to have him as your Savior. Marvelous thing. But it has to go further than that. We have to live in the reality he is Lord. He is Master. And that's the way he should be in our lives. You know, it's obvious from Scripture that to his disciples... He was Lord, for they spoke about him rarely in any other term but Lord. It's very rarely that he, they talked to him about Jesus. Normally when it was, it was when they were talking with other people about who they were following, and they, didn't, they were asking him a question, so they would respond, well, I'm speaking of Jesus. But you know, when they addressed him, it's almost always as Lord. And even though they were slow to realize his deity, and we know that was the case, because many of them didn't really understand his deity until after his resurrection, they were very much and very quickly using the title always Lord or Master. They recognized something in Jesus Christ that he was just more than a typical individual. He was the Lord. 
And even though we are sometimes slow to understand what lordship really means, you know, he asked a question, you know, uh, are you going to leave like these other so-called disciples of, that were following me left? And we looked at that last verse that I read in verse 69, and it says uh, many of them went on their way and left. He says, you're going to leave too? And what did Peter say? Well, who else can we go to, Lord? You are the one who has the words of eternal life. Now, this word Lord in Scripture is used in three senses, and we're going to just look at those briefly tonight. Again, the word Lord being used in Scripture in three different senses. The first one, and I'll just mention them now, and then we're going to go back over those three a little bit more detail. The first sense is position. He's Lord in position. Uh, there's many examples we could use, but the one that came to mind for me was Isaiah, the prophet, in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, where he saw the Lord high and lifted up, sitting on the throne. In other words, he saw him as the enthroned one, his position as Lord. That's one aspect of the senses of lordship. The second one is ownership. And I couldn't help but think of Psalm 24.1. I had to memorize this when I was in junior high school, taking a world history class on the very first week of class. And this was in a public school back in those days. And the teacher made all of us memorize the 24th Psalm for world history. And the first line goes, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and all they who dwell in it. Well, I think she wanted us to understand, if we're going to study world history, let's understand who made the world. Well, you don't find that much in public schools today, but I never forgot that psalm. I can still quote it. But it says very clearly, and of course that's reiterated in 1 Corinthians 10.26 as well. Also, in 1 Corinthians 6.20, we read, Ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Your body, your spirit, your very being belong to him. And now here he's addressing who? Those of us who have been bought with a price. Believers, Christians, those within whom Christ dwells. He's speaking those words to us. Now, the third word is the word rule. And, of course, the passage that came to my mind was in about what Peter said in Luke 5, 5. And we all kind of know the scenario there, at least I, I think we do. They, they've been fishing, you know, and caught nothing, and... They come to shore, and the Lord says, throw your nets out <laughs> over to the right. And here was Peter's reply. Master, which is rendered Lord as well, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. And kind of think of the tone of voice and the attitude <laughs> that he said those words. And we don't really know for sure, but I have a pretty good idea 
uh, when I've toiled all day and now I'm asked to go out and do some of the same thing again, it's not something you really want to do. But notice what his response was. At thy word, I will let down the net. In other words, at thy word, I will submit to your rule and let down the net. He's ruler. So these three words are senses of the uh, idea of Lord that we're going to look at a little bit now in more detail tonight. Let's first of all then go to this first one, position. His position as Lord, first of all I want to mention, is declared or proclaimed in Scripture. I'm just going to use Scripture to reinforce that. In Acts chapter 2, verse 36, it says, He is both Lord and Christ. Acts 10, 36, Jesus Christ is, he is Lord of all. In 1 John 3, and again in Colossians 1, 16, he is creator of all things. Now, if he created all things, obviously his position is above anything and everything and everyone that he has created. In 1 Peter 3.22, we're told that the angels and authorities are subject to him. If you go to Revelation chapter 4, verses 10 and 11, and chapter 5, verses 12 through 14, we read that all will fall down before the throne of God to worship him. Now, those are just a few of many verses that emphasize very clearly that his position as Lord is proclaimed in Scripture. He is the Lord, God Almighty. But then it's also interesting to know from Scripture that his position as Lord is rejected. And as I was studying this, I came across the statement someone made, and I thought, I think it's worth passing on, keeping in mind his position as Lord is rejected. And it goes this way. It is a remarkable thing that the omnipotent creator would permit rebellion under any circumstances. This remains one of the mysteries of the counsels of God. He is, he is Lord. And yet, he's allowed his position to be rejected. Hard to believe. And yet we know it's true, you know, and it began... In the spirit world, <laughs> you know, we read about Satan in Isaiah chapter 14. He rejected the Lord's position. He says, I want to be like the Most High. And he wasn't the only one because, you see, myriads of angels, other ones, also rejected his position as Lord. And, of course, they paid the price for it. But it began even in the spiritual world. But then, of course, it was followed very quickly by mankind. Already in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve rejected the Lord. How did they do that? Well, they were put to the test. The Lord told them very specifically, everything out here is yours. 
but there's just one tree you're not to eat from because the day you eat of it, you will die. Well, then somebody comes along and says, did the Lord say that you should not eat of this tree and if you did, you would die? And she said, yes, that's exactly what he said. And then Satan says, well, you won't die. You won't die. Well, who does she listen to? You see, by listening to Satan, what did she do? She rejected the Lord's word. Now, it's easy to say, well, why did, she, why did Eve do that? Well, just take a look at your own life. Why do you do it? You see, he's allowed that to happen. It shouldn't happen, but it does. It's interesting in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 2. And, of course, Isaiah is writing, but he's writing, but the Lord told him to speak. And the Lord said to Isaiah, I want you to speak this to the people. I have nourished and brought up children, and they rebelled against me. Oh, shame on those Israelites, those Jews. Well, don't be pointing your finger too quickly. Every child of God here is just that. You're a child of the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever rebelled against him? He's Lord. He's master. But we reject him all too often. Acts chapter 5, verse 13. They killed the prince of life. That's the greatest reinforcement of Isaiah's prophecy in 53, verse 3. He was despised and rejected of men. We know that he came onto his own, and his own had, would have nothing to do with him. And they even killed the prince of life. And you know, even today, he is still being rejected. Now, I'm not talking to the world here tonight. I'm talking to a, a group of believers. Now, whether everybody is here, I can't answer to that. I don't know all of you well enough to know that, but I would assume the vast majority, if not all of you, know the Lord. And I'm saying to you and to myself, we still reject him today. In what relationship? His position as Lord of our lives. But then finally, his position as Lord is acknowledged. This is a little bit more enjoyable topic. His position as Lord is acknowledged. And I just want to mention a few things in, in relationship to this. Somebody said the ultimate purpose and glory of God is not dependent upon man's submission to God. The segment that rejects him is small in a vast universe. Now, you and I are absorbed with the earth. And more importantly, we're absorbed with people on the earth. And we see in the world today, we call the world the earth Many people rejecting him outright. In fact, we're living in a day and age where the Lord Jesus Christ 
is basically rejected throughout our nation and throughout the world today. But you see, we're such a small, insignificant part of what the Lord created. You know, we have a few verses that remind us, like Matthew 8, 27, the winds and the waves obey him. I mean, we can set our watches confidently just by the way everything works. We know exactly when spring's coming and winter's coming and all these things. You know, this, the way this world fun goes and all the aspects of it, the stars and the moon and the sun, we see that. But, you know, that's, even that's such a minute little thing. You know, it's interesting, I, just this past summer, uh, I heard uh, that the scientists have discovered another galaxy that they didn't realize existed. You know, they, it's interesting, the Lord has given us the ability uh, to go, look out and to see the masses of what this universe is like. And they thought they had really kind of seen the extent of it all the way around. And all of a sudden, just this past summer, with a little bit higher powered telescope, they discovered another galaxy beyond all those they thought existed. And you know, they talked like, boy, we really did something great. They didn't do anything great. They just saw what was already there. And who knows how many galaxies there are beyond all the galaxies we're even aware of. And yet all of these understand who is Lord. He's in control of all these things. He's master of all these things. The winds and the waves obey him. Yeah, there may some, mankind may not, but we're such a minute particle in the vastness of the greatness of our God and our Lord and what he has done and continue, continues to do all the time. In Mark 1, 27, it says, the demons were and are subject to him. Oh, yeah, Satan is a prince of the world, but only because the Lord has allowed him to be the prince of the world and the power of the air. He's still in submission. He's limited to what he can do. Matthew 26, 53. Legions of angels stand ready to act at his command. We have no concept of the spiritual world. No concept whatsoever. You know, Satan even acknowledged that because when he was attempting the Lord, one of the temptations that's recorded is if you will jump off this pedestal area, your angels will come and catch you before you fall. You see, angels are constantly submitting to his position. And you know, praise God, millions have submitted freely to his authority in response to his loving sacrifice on the cross. I have to ask, have you been one of them? Have you submitted to that loving act of his on the cross? But then I also have to say to the vast majority of you, 
You have accepted him. Well, do you truly recognize his position as Lord in your life? Well, we're going to find out as we go on. The second thing is the area of ownership. His ownership as Lord is stated also in the Scripture. Uh, there's a lot of verses, and we don't have time to look at many, but one that came to mind almost immediately was in Psalm 50. Psalm 50, verse 10. For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the mountains, and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine, and all its fullness. And of course, that kind of reiterates what we mentioned in Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and all those who dwell there in it. I don't know if you remember, but last year when I was here, I spoke in Jeremiah chapter 18, and in verse 6 there we read and discussed for a while, as the clay in the potter's hand, all of us are his to do with us as pleases him. Why can he do with us as pleases him? Because he owns us. Does that bother you to hear somebody say that you're owned by someone? Well, you are. As a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, he owns you. And you know, we know that, again, you were, not, you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and spirit, which are God's. Now, you look at your body and say, well, I'm in control of my body. Oh, no, you're not. I'm in control of my mind. No, you're not. You're not in control of anything. As a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, he owns you. He bought you. He paid for you with a tremendous price. And that's why we're to glorify him in our bodies and our soul, because they are his. His ownership is stated in Scripture. Also, his ownership as Lord is accepted. In 1 John 2, 1, one becomes a child of God by choice, by willingly receiving Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Now, yes, I, I do understand the sovereignty of God. I know that I was chosen in him before the foundation of the world, that salvation is of the Lord. No debate on that at all. He is sovereign. But I also understand the free will of man is taught just as equally as the sovereignty of God is. How did you become a Christian? You asked to become one. You asked him to come into your life. You asked him to be your Lord and Savior. You acknowledged that's what you wanted. And praise God when you did that and you, you repented of your sin and asked him to come in to be Lord and Savior in your life, what did he do? He did it at your request. That's why he owns you. You asked him to. 
in John 20, 28. You know, Thomas made a statement when he finally saw the nail prints. You know, he didn't believe. He said, I won't believe unless I see. And when he saw the nail prints and the, and the sword things, what did he say? My Lord and my God. And every one of us here tonight, that should be our statement of truth coming from these lips and hearts. He is our Lord and he is our God. We have to acknowledge that. And not just in word, but in actions as well. You know, there is no biblical support, and I want to emphasize this, for the concept, I accept Jesus as Savior, but not as Lord. Let me repeat that. There is no biblical support for the concept, I'm receiving Jesus Christ as my Savior, but not my Lord. You see, to accept Jesus is to accept the Lord. Because who is he? He is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who you accepted. So to call him Lord is nice. And we'll be dealing with that here in a moment. Because you see, this idea that you can accept Jesus as your Savior, but not your Lord... No biblical support for that. So the bottom line is, this leads us to the statement, his ownership is to be evidenced in my life. And scripture makes that very clear. You know, the Lord has stated in Luke 6, 46, why do you call me Lord, but then refuse to do the things that I say? Now, we have spent three lessons since I've been here this year looking at the three pr uh, prayers in, uh, in the epistles. And we have learned from those epistles that those are the prayers of the Holy Spirit in relationship to all of us. And it's filled with those things that are the Lord's will for us. And that's why I hope you really go home and really study those again. Because it reveals so much about what the Lord desires from us in our lives. You see, his ownership in our lives is to be evidenced. Why do we call him Lord and then not do the things he says? Is there anybody here who has never been guilty of that? I don't expect to see too many heads nodding. We know all too often. Oh, yes, we call him Lord. But where's the evidence? Where's the evidence in our lives that he really is Lord of our lives? You know, James, uh, or in, uh, in relationship to this, um, when he says, why do you call me Lord? and not do the things that I say. I think the idea here is this. It is not real in his eyes if it is not evidenced in your life. You know, I said before, I, I address him almost always 
whether it's in prayer or in talking to other people about him as the Lord. And he hears me. And you know, if I'm going to say it, it's not real in his eyes. No matter how many times I say it, if it is not seen in my life, he looks at my life. He knows words like we do. Words are cheap. Anybody can speak the words. But see, the proof is in the life. And you examine your life. And as you examine your life, can you honestly say he is Lord in my life? In John 15, 5, he says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He who abides in me, in him who brings forth fruit. What is fruit? Is evidence of spiritual life. As you look at your life, how much spiritual fruit is being produced? Well, what do we talk about with spiritual fruit? Well, obviously, it's the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians, there's nine things mentioned there. Go home and look at those nine things with this aspect in mind. Are these nine, is one fruit, I understand, but these nine things, are these evident in my life? Because if he is Lord of my life, then these things should be evident in my life. And then when you stop reading the things in Galatians 5.22, go to Colossians chapter 3. Here's a real test. The first part of that verse tells you all these things as a child of God that you're to put off. It's a nasty list. And yet, unfortunately, you're going to be able to relate to some of those things in your life if he's not Lord of your life. We're to put off those things. But then you start about verse 12. And now it tells us the things we're to be putting on as those who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. And basically, they're the characteristics of Christ. We're to be conformed to the image of the Son of God. How are you doing on that? How am I doing on that? How much more am I like Christ than I was a year ago? Five years ago? 20 years ago? In my case, 64 years ago when I accepted him. How much difference? How much more like Christ am I today than I was back then? All of us have to ask ourselves that question. You know, the, the child of God who confesses Jesus Christ as Lord, and we know in Romans it says, if thou wilt confess with thy mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Well, if you're confessing him with your mouth, where's the evidence of it? You see, by making him Lord of your life, you show that this confession you made is true. If people cannot see the Lord in your life, well, you better examine your confession of faith. One should go along with the other. Well, let's move on to his rule. His rule as Lord. Romans 12, 1 and 2. And I know all of you can probably quote it, but I want you to turn to it because it's good to have it before your face or else you just quickly ravel it off in your mind and you won't think too much of it. 
But he says there, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You see, I think this is the ultimate evidence of his lordship in our lives. And I don't know about you, but the thing that stands in the way of my walking with the Lord as close as I should is my involvement in this world. Even though we're, we're warned very forcibly here, do not be conformed to this world. And I was just sharing with Magni this afternoon. In my two generations, you know, I'm... I've lived through two generations. I'm near the end of mine. Uh, it's amazing. In the two generations that I've lived, the changes that have taken place in the household of God. And most of those changes reflect being, come, being become conforming to this world. We've adopted their attitudes. We've adopted their music. We've adopted the way they accept things and tolerate things. And now it's being pushed upon us. And you know, it's amazing how many things we've just uh, attached to ourselves as the, the church, the body of Christ, that was totally, we knew it was totally wrong 40, 50 years ago. And now today we see it more and more. You see, as you look at this aspect, of who's ruling. Well, Christ is to be ruling as Lord in our life. You know, it's interesting, in Luke chapter 19, verse 14, the people said this, we will not have this man to reign over us. We will not have this man. Who are they speaking of? The Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, it's interesting. It points out that mankind has always resisted God reigning or ruling in their lives. See, being willfully ignorant of the Lord's rule over them, they foolishly yield to self-rule. Now, of course, we say, well, yeah, that's the world today. Well, I'm not here to talk to the world today. <laughs> I'm talking to believers, and I'm talking to myself. You know, what's the biggest detriment in our lives? is foolishly yielding to self-rule. How we allow ourselves to come and become Lord of our lives as opposed to the Lord himself. You know, Scripture clearly teaches that we are called to submit to God's will, not to self-will. Scripture clearly teaches that we are called to love God, not to love self. Scripture clearly teaches that we are to put Christ, not self, at the center of our lives. But examine your life. How many times does self get in the way of the Lord's will in your life? Who truly is Lord of your life? Is it the Lord or is it you? 
I found that for me, the greatest hindrance in my spiritual life is me. You know, Satan puts things before me. People try to affect me. But the truth of the matter is, I'm not really affected by what other people say or think in all honesty. They aren't the ones that cause me to maybe get off my walk with the Lord. It's me, my choosing, what I decide to do, even though I know what the Lord would have me do in a given situation. It's interesting also that in 2 Timothy 3, 2, it points out that moral collapse in the end times is characterized by men and women who are lovers of self. And again, that's not just true of the world. That's true of believers as well. You know, to progress in the Christian life, there must be a realization that we have given up self-rule to the rule, Lord's ruling in our lives. We can maybe summarize this by the words of uh, 2 Corinthians 8, 5, and this is what I would hope the Lord can say to us. This was referring to the Macedonians. It simply says there, they gave themselves to the Lord. And that's where it begins. You have to give yourself to the Lord. And until you're willing to do that, he will never be Lord of your life. You have to be willing to do that. Well, in this last minute here, I just want to mention a couple of things, and then we're going to close. And this is just a list of things. Just and this think about them later to detail. You know, the, these are areas in our lives that God should rule. Number one, our priorities. Two, our bodies. Three, our minds. That means our attitudes, our thoughts, our speech. He should rule our possessions, our time, our relationships, our hopes, our ambitions. Everything. Not just the things we choose to let him be Lord of, but every aspect of our lives. And in conclusion, I just want to give you a little checklist as maybe that might help you to focus on areas where you need to improve on Christ being truly Lord in your life. Number one, does every day begin with a fresh commitment to my life, of my life to him? Does every other interest take second place to his interest? Does every decision consider him first? Does every commitment live up with my commitment to him? Does every relationship have his approval? Does every activity enable him to be present, comfortable, and meet his approval? Does every area of my life come under his rule? Now, you could add to that list, but that's enough to think about. I just want to close with Proverbs 23, 26, where the Lord says, My son, daughter, give me your heart. Give me your very being. The question is, have you? And if you haven't, will you? We've seen over the last times together what God's will is in specific areas. Go home and check just those areas and ask yourself the question as you go through those prayers and what the, the Spirit of God desires in your life as a child of God. 
Is God's will my will? Is he really Lord in these areas of my life? Kind of a challenging message. That's okay. It was a real challenging message to put together. Very challenging. And I still think about it all the time now. And I trust you will as well. Jesus Christ is Lord. May he truly be Lord in our lives. Shall we pray? Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we just thank you and praise you again for the privilege we have had to gather and sit under the sound of thy word. We're so thankful for your word, for your word is truth. We've been reminded of so many things concerning what the will of God is for those who are his blood-bought children. Tonight we've been approached from your word concerning the lordship of Jesus Christ in our lives. Oh Lord, we just pray that it will be our desire to be willing to let him truly be Lord in every aspect of our lives. For in doing so, you can bless us and use us to your honor and glory. We just thank you again for those who've come out tonight. We ask you to part us now with your blessing. Bring us to our various homes in safety, we pray. We ask these things and give you the praise in Jesus' precious name. Amen.